What's going on, everybody? I'm Jeff St. Pierre, and this is episode 141 of the Adult Education Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with psychologist Dr. Marielle Bouquet. Thanks for checking out the show. I appreciate you sharing some of your day with me. If this is your first time listening to the Adult Education Podcast, welcome into the family. We love you. I'd love it if you would subscribe to the show so you're updated for all future episodes. And if you wouldn't mind leaving a nice rating or review, I'd appreciate that too. If you want to connect, the best way to do that is through Instagram. We're at at Adult Education Podcast. You can see when new episodes are posted and you can DM me with any comments, questions, maybe suggestions for future topics or guests. I'd love to hear from you on that. I'll be straight with you on this one. When I first booked this conversation, I had a very different impression of what it was going to be about, but I'm really happy with the pathway that it took. So today I'm speaking with psychologist, Dr. Marielle Bouquet. She's got a new book out called Break the Cycle, a guide to healing intergenerational trauma. When I first saw the title, it was right around Thanksgiving. And I immediately started thinking about all the people that go home and they see their families during the holiday and have these awkward, uncomfortable run-ins with family members and always talk about how weird it is. That was kind of my impression of what this book was going to be about, the kind of trauma you get from your family. Boy, was I wrong. Dr. Bouquet's work is more centered around trauma that is transmitted from one generation to the next, and she hopes to help people break that cycle so they don't continue to pass it on down to future generations. I'd never heard the term intergenerational trauma before, so I loved learning more about her work and her passion, but I also didn't realize how much of an impact trauma on our family members can have on everybody else. In our conversation, we discussed some of the biological impacts of intergenerational trauma, which just really blew my mind and opened my eyes to so many new things. While the conversation didn't turn out the way that I initially expected it to, I am so glad that I got to educate myself more on this topic and that I had the chance to speak with Dr. Bouquet because she's fantastic, and I hope you check out her work. But for now, here is our conversation. Dr. Bouquet, uh, this book is great, by the way, uh, Break the Cycle, A Guide to Healing Intergenerational Trauma. Uh, I was looking you up on YouTube to find out a little bit more about about you, you know, see what your interview style was like. And I saw that you interviewed uh, a friend of mine, Elizabeth Earnshaw. Oh, Liz. I love Liz. Yeah. How wonderful that we have a, a connection. Yeah. I, I heard sister used to live in Baltimore. So I got to know her sister. And then when I started the podcast, she was like, you should talk to my sister. And I was like, okay. And so Liz and I have kind of become <laughs> online acquaintances uh, over that. But, uh, but yeah, what a wonderful conversation you had with her. That was really a treat to listen to. Good to hear. Good to hear. <laughs> so tell me a little bit more about yourself. Let's start from the beginning. How, where are you from? Where did you go to school? Like, how does this whole thing work? A bit about myself. So I am an Afro-Dominican psychologist. I always lead with that because my identities really uh, also matter to me in, in reference to the work that I do. The specific area of psychology, as you may have guessed, that I, I specialize in is trauma and intergenerational trauma is a more specific um, core area of my work. And, you know, I, I'm actually someone who wasn't even born in the U.S., so I, I always feel like not having been born here and migrating here at such a young age definitely gives me this like alternate perspective on a lot of the things that um, are part of the lived experience here and even just kind of global affairs. Um, so the the work that I do and the work that, you know, I kind of integrated into this book is, is really one in which I, I think a lot of those different perspectives and points of view that I've been able to accumulate across the years from just the multitude of my identities, my training, all of that is, you know, I think it's reflective in the book. Um, and then my training, you know, my training was, um, uh, my doctoral training was at Columbia University. Mm. And my clinical doctoral training was at Columbia Med because they, you know, 
they were a bit separate, but I was able to to train there as well and train in holistic psychology as well there. I'm curious how you found yourself on this path to go down this road. Was there something in your past when you were a child, when you were younger, that made you want to get into this field? I actually had to reflect on that. Mm. And I had to do it once I was actually already a doctor in psychology because I kept getting the question like, well, what got you into this? And I didn't really feel like I had so much of a concrete answer. I mean, there was an actual path that I followed, um, but that came later in life. I actually uh, went into psychology as a second career. Mm. But prior to that, I was actually working in journalism, um, really in advertising, because I was separated from my dad for uh, almost all of my childhood due to immigration law. And I always just wanted to feel closer to him and connected to him. And I think I subconsciously just adopted the profession that he had in the Dominican Republic, which was uh, he was a reporter there. And so I, you know, just got into journalism and really didn't feel very fulfilled. So eventually I started volunteering back in my hometown of Newark, New Jersey. And simultaneously, I had started going to therapy. And the work in the volunteer office and and everything that I was doing within my community started looking more like mental health related. Mm -hmm. But also in that first therapy session, that therapist actually said to me, you're really psychologically minded. You should consider being a therapist. And so he, you know, kind of spent the rest of our sessions just like nudging me in the direction of going back to school. That's so interesting. I I always love stories where, where people don't realize what kind of talent they have until somebody mm-hmm. else points it out and then kind of puts them on that path to get there. I yeah. just, I always find that so, mm-hmm. so fascinating that you have all of this skill right there inside of you that you didn't even know you had until somebody was like, Hey, wait a second. Yeah. I mean, I consider myself to be so lucky because I would have never even um, thought of this as being a career for myself. Like I, I think uh, coming from a background like my own, and no one really ever talked about therapy at all. Right. I mean, I think a lot of older generations didn't, period. Um, but it definitely was the case in my life, and it made it so that I didn't even get exposure to the possibilities of that career. So I was really lucky. But the the reason why I say that I tend to reflect on this question um, now a lot more is because I realized for myself that there were a lot of moments within my infancy and my childhood where I was actually feeling very emotionally connected and perhaps even responsible for a lot of the people around me. Like I would, you know, if someone was crying in a grocery line, I would feel such deep empathy for them. And I would want so badly to eradicate their pain And I remember thinking, you know, well, how can I help? How can I make it so that people don't feel this way? And I thought of all the possibilities, but psychology. I thought of, you know, going into immigration law. I thought just anything you could think of to help people, but just never psychology. And so um, I do feel like there was a part of me that was already very much in the um, connected to wanting to be of service, but I just never really knew how to, how to kind of create that world for myself. It's interesting the way you describe that, because my daughter, I have a three-year-old daughter and she, we joke that she's an empath because she 
will stop everything. If she sees or hears someone crying near her, she will drop whatever she's doing and walk over to them. And she doesn't know what to do or what to say. She's three. But but she walks over so inquisitively, like, I don't know what's going on. Why are you sad? You know, and, and she'll ask us the question, why is that person sad? And it's just so interesting how she picks up on that emotion so quickly, where so many of us will just walk by, right by, right? Like you're in the grocery store, you see somebody cry, like a kid crying, you don't think about it. My daughter wants to know what's going on. Like she walks right mm. up to that kid, probably to their annoyance, but she walks right <laughs> up to them and gets in their face and just has this such concerned look like, what, what's going on here? Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. And I really, I love that you're able to capture that for her and see it for her because that's the thing is that sometimes, you know, kids such as myself tend to be uh, categorized as maybe maybe being like a little bit sensitive. I was categorized as being very quiet and easy, an easy kid. Like everyone always told me like, we don't even realize that there's a child in the home because she's so quiet. Mm. And really what was happening was that I was very much a sponge and just taking in a lot of my environment. I was very, very, um, very much kind of an observer of my environment. And so as a result, it made it so that I really soaked up a lot of the emotion and a lot of the data that was around me. And that helps me immensely as a psychologist. Like I feel like I'm such an attuned clinician. I'm so present. I feel, you know, like it, it allows me to, to really see multiple layers and nuance in a person's story in a way that I think perhaps I wouldn't be able to have should, you know, had I not had that very innate kind of part of me. But if my parents would have even known that that could be something that could be nurtured and then like transformed into something. I think they would have done everything in their power to help me. So I love that you know that about your child already and that you're, you know, kind of just like observing mindfully how she interacts with the world. That's so beautiful. I love watching her and trying to learn through her, but quiet and easy are two words I would not use to describe my daughter. Those, <laughs> the, her personality. We've we've been told that she is a, a passionate person. I think that's a nice way of saying a little bit much, you know, but uh, but we love her. We love her. She's fantastic. I, I do yeah. want you to explain a little bit more about the term intergenerational trauma, because this is a term that when I first read it, this is silly, but I read it right around Thanksgiving when I was reading about your book. And I started thinking intergenerational trauma is the trauma that parents put on us at Thanksgiving dinner when they ask us why we're not married yet and where are the grandkids like that. But when I was learning more about you and reading more about the book, I started to realize intergenerational trauma is something much bigger. Mm -hmm. It is, you know, it is indeed the only type of trauma that is handed down the family line. So there is, you know, some level of responsibility or at least connection that parents, grandparents and ancestors have to, to the kinds of traumas that we suffer in our own generation. However, it, it's not as simple as people might think, right? Like intergenerational trauma happens really at the intersection of our biology and our psychology. And it happens by way of a lot of things on the biological side. There's a, you know, uh, epigenetics, which is our understanding of really how experiences that we have in our world tend to then almost kind of like uh, become embedded in our genetic encoding and turn genes on and off uh, according to what happens in our environment. And then when we as parents conceive our children, they basically inherit a lot of messaging, a lot of genetic messaging that tells their genes to turn, you know, our eyes brown and our hair really like dark black and also our temperament a certain way. 
And so all of that is, you know, being formulated from a genetic place. And then we also have the psychological side, which is everything that happens mostly once we're born. Mm -hmm. So if we're born into a family where we have parents that, of course, we're now saying that the parents had been living in trauma, at least one of them, because there was that transmission of the emotional vulnerability on the genetic side. Now we have this baby that is being raised in a home with a parent that perhaps is missing some of those social cues for safety, for attunement, for care, for love with the baby because they're so preoccupied with the internal upheaval that's happening, all of that nervous system reaction that they're having as a result of being in a prolonged traumatized state. And beyond that, you know, you have this child that may be interacting with their parents and with the world in different ways and may experience a number of different adversities. They can experience, like many of the children of today, a pandemic. Mm. They could experience bullying in school. They could, you know, enter their first relationship in their teens and that relationship is toxic and abusive. Or they could go into the workforce and experience discrimination. And the list goes on and on. But what happens in those moments is that should the adversity impact that person enough whatever emotional vulnerabilities were there from a genetic place or from a biological place could get triggered mm. and they can then develop trauma symptoms. So now we have one parent that is themselves in a traumatized state and their child now being an adult themselves in another traumatized state, making the trauma intergenerational. The biological aspect of this is fascinating to me because, you know, we've we've heard the stories, we've seen them depicted in TV and movies of, say, uh, a person has an alcoholic father and because of the way they were raised by that person, when, when that person has a child, they raise them in, in a certain way because of the trauma they felt. But when you start talking about the biological things that happen here, that is so mind-blowing to me that things are happening that we don't really even know and that we we don't necessarily understand are going on inside of our bodies because of trauma that happened to people that are not us. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Like from the mental aspect, yeah. I get like the psychological aspect. I can understand why having a parent that went through trauma can impact you because they're still dealing with their own trauma. I can understand where that can impact a person on a psychological level. It's so fascinating how it also impacts biologically. Absolutely. You know, the thing about that is, is that um, it's just an area of science that we haven't paid enough attention to sure. because mental health just happens to always be like the last thing on everyone's agenda. However, we have understood that even throwing it back to like, you know, Darwinism and like survival of the fittest, we've always understood that there has been some way in which the human body and really anybody, uh, you know, within earth, whatever, you know, animal or, or, you know, any category of a species, we have known that there has been some way in which each species has had an evolutionary response in order to survive into the next generation. And this is no different. It's just that because we are formulated so complexly, we are so like, um, so much more advanced than a lot of the other forms of animals inside of earth. Like we also have this very developed mental capacity. And within that, we also have um, an evolutionary response that is, that is baked in there. Um, what I love about 2023, 2024 and beyond <laughs> is, is the fact that 
we get to have conversations mm-hmm. about these things and we get to say, you know what, the science is catching up. And we can say with greater certainty that there are ways in which these biological imprints get passed on and that there are ways to also pass on or at least engage in a regeneration of our bodies, our nervous systems, our neural pathways, like all the things that are implicated in trauma, even our cellular memory, so that we can live in a body that feels more settled and less like it's on fire and that we can also help the next generation to do the same. It's so interesting. Like you, you kind of feel like at some point with all the research being done on everything that you're just going to hit a wall and be like, okay, well, there's nothing else to study anymore. But it feels like mental health, as you mentioned, is this untapped world that we're just really starting to dive into. You know, people have been studying mental health, but not at the same level and uh, with the same experience that folks like yourself are doing today. You know, I think back to my own personal experience. Uh, you were talking about how when you were younger, people didn't talk about going to therapy. They didn't talk about 